Yeah. So let me let me let me tell you. Let, let me tell you what I saw the other day. I was um I was at Horlack Park, uh, just across from the university there, and I was meeting uh, some colleagues of mine from the previous year from a previous uh, team that I, I worked with for for lunch. It was a nice enough day. We eventually did get us uh, stormed out. Did you go to a restaurant? We ordered a restaurant out and oh. we brought the food there. Okay, mm-hmm. that's probably best because with the numbers you've been seeing, I've been kind of sketched to go to restaurants. Although I wish that I could. Yeah, and so while I was driving there, and I'm driving up, I see I see a young gentleman, and uh, you know this is probably he probably hasn't even seen his 18th su- summer, probably probably just just in high school, just fresh out of high school. He's wearing a black hoodie, and on that hoodie is the Confederate flag. Uh, not quite as bad. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, I love Canadian oil sands. Did it have like the, ma- with the maple leaf? I love with the Canada. Actually it had, it had an oil drop. And then on the back, it had the Canada action. I think it had the Canada action uh, logo on the back. And I was just seeing there going like that. That's going to be when he's, you know, 30 years old. He's going to look back on that shirt and he's going to think of it in the same way that I think of the shirts with the quote unquote uh, clever, snide, sarcastic quotes on it. Like, a, like a novelty t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's going to be a big cringe because he's young enough to get to the point in his life later on when the fossil fuel industry has just completely collapsed. And like Alberta's will be the first to go because we have the worst oil globally. And be like, oh shit, I really was wearing that dumbass t-shirt, wasn't I? And I, I often wonder. It's like, um, how, how did he get that shirt? Did he, did he go out, or is it that Canada Action is like grooming kids now, uh, hard alleged here, and they're going like, hey kiddo, you want to wear this shirt for me? You want to show your allegiance to legacy energy companies? You look really good on you. What size are you? Looks like you're a medium. You want this? That's how I picture the Canada Action people. I- I I, I, think, I think they are. Uh, I think they're creepy groomer types. I could see it happening because, like, for your brand, you know, as a as a fossil fuels like advocate, I think you need you need to get that young, fresh meat wearing your wearing your t shirts to seem cool. Suspiciously well funded, grassroots, volunteer driven, uh, issues based group. <laughs> <laughs> So I just thought that was interesting. I hope I don't know if that's because you see it all the time. Like, of course, you see it in with the big like um, I, I call them doofy trucks. We all know the type, the lift, uh, but they haven't upgraded their wheel diameter. Uh, the frankly ridiculous amount of road armor um, labeled with uh, iron cross on it as though that doesn't have like really suspect connotations. Uh, sometimes you'll see them with the smokestack you know, things sticking out of the back of the bed there, just ridiculous. I'll, ha- I'll have a picture, it'll have like either like Buck Trudeau or I'll have like the picture, the sticker of Calvin from Calvin and Hobbes peeing on like a NDP logo. Um, and then they'll have an, I love Canadian oil and gas or I love Canadian pipelines or things of this nature. One time I saw the triple threat bumper sticker where someone had the anti-Trudeau one and then they had, you know, fuck the carbon. You got to have the you got to have the anti-Trudeau one. 
You gotta have it. I, I, I saw every time. I saw a, strangely enough like a Toyota Rav Four that had that one, but then it also had the fuck the carbon. Was it a hybrid? I I don't think so. But then it also had the fuck the carbon tax one, and it also had um, I think it was uh, I love oil and gas, or it was a UCP sticker or something, and they had three like right on their like uh, full size spare. If you're driving a hybrid and you have a uh, fuck the carbon tax, at least you're putting your money where your mouth is because you're like, there's no way I'm paying this carbon tax. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to pay as little of this carbon tax as possible. I'm driving, I'm driving my Prius Prime. Yeah. Oh, on Reddit the other day, it's a pl- I saw a picture. It's a plug-in that- hybrid. It can, drive, it can drive totally electric. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did see a photo on Reddit the other day that was a Kia that said like, Something like real patriots buy domestic or buy American, and he's driving a Kia, and I was like, okay. The Kia Optima is built in Georgia. Well, there you go. <laughs> so it's not hypocritical, but yeah, that was something I, I love that so much. Um, and actually, we might have to cut this part out. But the other gr- the other thing that I find really interesting is now there's a uh, Students for Canada group. I've heard of that. They have a bunch. They have a bunch of local chapters. They have one at my university. They have one at yours. Um, and supposedly it, it's the same thing. It's Canada action. It's like, we believe in proper stewardship and our excellent environmental track record and that the Canada, Canada needs more oil and gas basically, or needs more Canadian energy. And so they, they do a really good job on their website of fronting as though it's like, oh, this is about, you know, energy independence. This is about, you know, um, sort of fair and equitable and responsible energy development. Uh, but then you go into you you go to the Google form, and I looked at this because I, I was wondering about if I wanted to sign up just to. to I just want to it's I want to go on a safari, okay? I want to go on a Canada Action Safari, and I want to see how these people talk. I want to see how these people live. And, and you can like spot beasts and see how how they exist in their natural <laughs> habitat. <laughs> like, what do they eat? Do they just do they eat bitumen? Just like oh, I, I've know, met some. Like, bowl? I have some friends who work for uh, conservative uh, MPs or MLAs, and uh, and the, the the one that I know only eats French fries and hamburgers. So if that's oh. you know maybe it's a bit too anecdotal, but uh, a lot of a lot They're of fast food. <laughs> They're fried in oil. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> <laughs> um but what i was going to add to that was is that um on their on their uh you go to a google form to sign up and they're like oh we can give you free swag just give us your address and your size and all this kind of stuff so it's like weirdly funded that they can just give away like free printed shirts and stuff of this nature um but the thing is like what which um you know which uh uh, campaign are you most interested in participating in and it's like so I actually I should probably look this up okay so once you get past all of the uh, stock images of people standing on mountains and hanging out with their friends which if you do a like a reverse image search it's all like stock stock images that you can find everywhere it's like obviously not the people involved hey look at me I'm on a mountain and I love oil and gas and, and the, the thing is is that bear in mind that Prior to this, the entire front is just an astroturf, like, oh, energy, 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 energy. Because that's what they do now is where they say, like... Um, they say oh, no, energy instead of oil and gas. Yeah. yeah. So here it is. So what's your top campaign? So this is Students for Canada, uh, which is a front group. I think it's I think it's fair to say, allegedly, 
soft allegedly a front group for um for canada action which it is no they have they flat out have their logo everywhere so your top campaigns oil and gas pipelines natural gas canadian energy oil sands this is where it starts to get a little bit weird uh canadian agriculture forestry very very close links between forestry uh industry and uh, oil and gas development wind which is like maybe they maybe that's like a hidden one like they put it in there and if you select it then they say sorry we're we're not interested we're we're full kind of thing mining which of course is also intimately linked to oil and gas family farms okay that's interesting this is this is the weird one uh support our troops but troops is pronounced is spelled T R O U P S. Support our troops. <laughs> Which I'm gonna I'm gonna sound like such an asshole if that's actually something that you can do. No, that is actually just a, a typo in their in their form. And then the one in French is Fier du Petrole et Gaz. So they also have a French oil and gas one too. So I just thought that was really funny, speaking of front groups in that t-shirt. You know, I like that they put in the, the wind because if they're going to, you know, use the marketing and the branding of the energy all the time, then they better have something other than oil and gas. We should be proud. We should be proud. I love that because it's like basically it's front. It, it, they kind of give the game away because they know it's like something that you shouldn't be proud of. Like you shouldn't be proud of like wanton ecological destruction displacement of indigenous peoples the poisoning of land and water uh you know horrific anthropogenic climate change it's like eh, if you think we should be proud of that it's up to you it's cool it's fine you do you you go glenn coco yeah yeah i think the last <laughs> thing i want to say about it before we get into the into the meat today is is like do they not think that with how easy it is to just like build an economy off of a resource and like not really have any creative like industry or any kind of like idea based economy or information based economy. Do they really think that if, if we weren't convinced that there's no way to make this work, that we wouldn't just go with it. Like sometimes it just strikes me as so funny. It's like, yeah, I would much rather like just like hang out and like extract stuff that we have and sell it. than like go to the effort of making the kind of economy that some place like Japan has, right. Where they have a lot less, mm. Um, or Germany sure or Germany yeah there's less land there's less resources and there's more ideas that are fueling the economy but yeah it's not I'm not choosing to do this I think the 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 twin forces of like market forces and then environmental effects are forcing our hand like yeah it's so naive it's so silly Alright, hello everyone. This is The Underside, the most un-Canadian Canadian podcast in Canada with your hosts, Mark and Sean. So, there's been a lot that's happened since our last episode. Uh, before we get there, how are you doing, Sean? I'm doing not too bad. I'm a little bit overwhelmed with all the stuff that's been going on recently. And it's gotten to this point where it's kind of like this dull roar that's um, just reverberating out and it's getting hard to pick up on little individual things and sometimes you just have to stop and like 
do some slow reading of some long form content to really anchor yourself. So yeah, I'm feeling a bit, feeling a bit overwhelmed. Um, but mostly good. I, uh, we've been seeing each other a lot kind of like outside of the podcast. And I think now we're a little bit more relaxed, although not like not reckless about the whole COVID situation. And it's nice to to kind of see each other more. So at least in the midst of such an overwhelming like news cycle, at least we get to process process it a little bit when we actually get together and talk about it. Yeah. So in terms of that news cycle, just kind of a brief overview of what's happened since our last episode, which is a little over a month ago. So we had the Black Lives Matter protests, of course, spurred on by the the killing of George Floyd and other uh, people of color in rather indiscriminate uh, extrajudicial uh, incidents, extrajudicial murders. Um, that resulted in both protests here and abroad, uh, which are still ongoing. I mean, you have tons of people out of work, unemployed, with nothing to do. Um, and just recently, we had the incident with the uh, Department of Homeland Security takeover of Portland, Oregon, which was really quite shocking, like people getting put into unmarked vans, uh, security forces not identifying themselves. I've listened to some pretty good um, podcast uh, episodes from uh, from my regular stock, sort of breaking down the history of the Department of Homeland Security and how basically it's like it's Trump town, pretty much like the kind of people who in the security establishment and who would vote for him. They're definitely finding their place uh, in that unit and are very happy to work on his behalf. And what's funny, though, is that happened. And when I saw that it happened, like it was shocking, but not surprising, which is a bit of a theme for this episode as well. Yeah, I um, I think with how many extrajudicial killings, especially of black Americans that have happened over it feels like decades by now. I think this is a matter of time and it just happens to be a perfect storm with the kind of um, employment climate and like the other kinds of frustrations and, um, you know, difficulties that have been building up for a while now. And it's just kind of like an earthquake, the pressure builds up and then it explodes. So maybe this isn't too surprising. Um, and one other thing, when it comes to the department of Homeland security in Portland, if the right wing in America wants to, you know, dodge accusations of fascism. And I sometimes will defend them and say, well, it's not quite fascist, you know, this, they haven't gone to a fascist extreme yet uh, in the way that we've seen it in history. And then they certainly shouldn't be doing things like this if they want to avoid that accusation. I think this is the first time that it's really seemed like to moderate people, like, like I would describe myself as moderate, to moderate people like me, it, it kind of does seem like fascism when you're watching something like that start to happen and that kind of suppression of these protests. Yeah, and I think that's really critical is that really that that element of the American security establishment that could be described as fascist has mostly been leveraged against very specific ethnic and socioeconomic communities on the continental United States. And realistically, for a lot of people, there was always a question. But of course, if you someone who looks like us, we're of the socioeconomic and realistically racial class that the police were invented to defend, that being European uh, colonial settlers of the North American continent. So yeah, but this is one of those things where it is out and out um, 
authoritarian fascism, which we'll have a lot more to talk about as we go on. So I just wanted to to give breath to that because, of course, that is a really significant and severe issue that's that's affecting um, our our comrades down down south. Mm-hmm. And then in, in the and this is one of those cases. And um, of course, I, as our as our as our good old boy uh, Vladimir Lenin would have said, there are decades in which weeks happen. And there are weeks in which decades happen. And it appears that we are in that period. Something to that effect. I think I butchered that statement pretty heartily. I, I kind of like that. I, I haven't heard it, but that, that made sense to me, at least. That's interesting. And speaking, and obviously they're in the midst of their number one in the world for, for coronavirus. They're adding something between 60 to 80,000 cases, confirmed cases a day. The real number is probably beyond that. They have... 4 million confirmed cases. And again, the real number is probably well in excess of that. And, and uh, but of course, if you do more testing, you're going to see more cases. Also, if you have more cases, you're going to see more cases. Yeah. And what's, so. what's really sad <laughs> is that when this all started, they were projected to hit maybe 250,000 deaths. And um, it looks like that could be on, they, they could be on track to that because they just passed 150,000 deaths, which is like, Compared to Canada, which has I think less than ten thousand, that that's pretty astronomical. One hundred and fifty thousand dead from this. Yeah, and then looking back closer to home, we're actually in the midst of our own uh, coronavirus uptick here in Alberta. And of course, I'll tell you, oh, it's just because we test more than other provinces, and that's true. We test ten times more than, say, British Columbia, but we are seeing about three times the number of. Uh, new confirmed daily cases than British Columbia, which seems to indicate to me that, yeah, sure, maybe some of that is an element of more testing. Something tells me, though, it's just that we have more cases um, because I don't really have you know, too much faith in this place. Sure, yeah. And, and I think if people's behaviors are any indication, then you can tell that people are yeah. not being nearly as careful as they were. I think there's a bit of what people are calling caution fatigue, where it just becomes harder to care after a certain amount of time and you see it pretty evidently when you go out and you driving down the street or walking past a crowded uh, bar like like last night I drove past a crowded bar it seems like it could be caused by people's recklessness for sure absolutely and so beyond that though uh, back to sports So uh, Edmonton was chosen as the NHL hub city for the Western Conference, which kind of blew my mind in a weird way because, I mean, I guess it makes sense where we're sort of isolated, we're, you know, far enough away that maybe the, the concern is not as great. But no sooner had they announced it that a tremendous thunderstorm of which we've been having so many, believe me, had so many tremendous thunderstorms, um, Rogers Place flooded. Um, now they were very quick to say like, oh, but this isn't going to put off the start of the season. Oh, it's, it was only in like some of like the street level areas far away from the actual arena where the players are playing. And I'm saying they're going like, like I'm, I, my building didn't flood. It was built in the sixties. It's mostly solid concrete and brick. Rogers place was built like not even five years ago. And it can't even put up with a piddling little storm like that. Like, come on. Uh, Clearly, clearly something else is up here. Um, but uh, there's also been some controversy around this. I don't know if you saw it because people are saying like, well, now we're going to be adding costs to shutting down parts of downtown to, to isolate and maintain the teams in the ice district. Uh, we have to hold up the costs of screening 
um, and testing the players and officials and families and coaches and staff. We may have to treat them at some point as well. And there's been no agreement that's been announced to that effect. Um, And all of that, all of that added cost to host an event that's not clear that it's actually going to stimulate our economy. It's not like the Olympics where people are coming in to watch the games or FIFA, both of which actually notorious um, sporting events where countries and cities lose money well, rather yeah. than get money And in this it. instance, the only people who are here like spending money and stuff would be the players themselves. So like, how much is that going to boost the economy? I, I don't think very much. No, not at all. Um, and then we can't even give our public school system increased funding for personal protective equipment now that we have an announcement that we're reopening in the fall. Yeah, and that's something that I... I kind of saw fresh off the press. Sometimes I'll pull out one of those RSS readers and I'll just kind of look through some like Alberta headlines and stuff. And I saw this basically right when it, when it happened, when it was announced and no one else had really picked it up yet. I, I think it was uh, like an Alberta.ca announcement. So right from the government. And uh, it looks like they're opening schools right after they've cut uh, K-12 in a historic fashion, like like their cuts to other, uh, in, in other ministries. And they're not providing any additional support for the PPE, for the like hand sanitizer, um, for the labor that's required to do extra cleaning. No extra support, no extra money. And, and actually, when Lagrange referred to the, the, their budget, she said, "Oh, I'm sure they can find money in their existing budget. We don't have to change anything there." And they like literally laid off thousands of educational assistants, which are critical when you have larger class sizes for helping to sort of guide and shepherd large groups of children. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the press secretary for the Ministry of Education. No, I'm not. A fellow by the name of Colin Atchison, who is just the most foul bog ape I've ever had the displeasure of of witnessing the spin from. Because some of them are almost tactful, but he's like, oh, no, we've actually maintained funding. But when they make that argument, you have to go, did you, though? Because if you're not controlling for increase in enrollment and inflation, it's a cut. But then actually there was a whole bunch. There's like the main grant that funds the public school system. And there's a bunch of other ones, including like initiatives for reducing class sizes, initiatives for maintaining like cap, like a physical capital. So the actual buildings and facilities. And those got cut, right? That was that big fight with the Calgary uh, Board of Education, the CBE, um, when they're saying, actually, no, we did get a cut. And then you have Colin Atchison going out there saying like, no, that's not a cut. If you look, we maintain funding. It's like, yeah, on that one line. But when you go through the rest, it's actually a cut. You've laid off, you know, thousands of educational assistants. We're going full bore uh, into the next year. And actually, just to jump ahead here, um, basically, it says, this is uh, Jason Kenney quoted, We're determined to do everything we can to safely return students to class. The return of more than 75 uh, 750,000 students to near normal learning in the new school year is indicative of Alberta's continued recovery as we work to relaunch our economy and return to our regular everyday lives. But they're planning on having full class sizes. They're saying, oh, we'll stagger like lunches and recesses and stuff, which isn't going to help. We now know that COVID is airborne. It gets in the air and it probably sticks around for a little while, especially indoors with limited uh, ventilation. And of course they talk about like, oh, there's so much evidence that you can reopen schools safely. It's like by reducing the classes in half, teaching outside, hiring more teachers, providing personal protective equipment, all things that our government's not planning on doing. 
And I just love how now we have decided that we are moving on to the child sacrifice phase of the Petro State. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of funny that I mean this is really like the reopening is a commitment to their brand, their brand of uh, economically pragmatic, and their brand of you know. Uh, making sure that we have the economy moving at all costs. And so we have this tangible example where the kids are then going into harm's way, like jumping into the COVID war zone, for lack of a better word, to promote that kind of brand of economic um, pragmatism and prosperity. And uh, and it's sad because the brand is so like enveloping that they could, they probably, when they make announcements like this, if things change and they get really bad, it might stop them from backing out of a commitment like this because it is part of their their brand and it's such a big part of who they who they are who, who their base sees them as yeah I, and i mean kids are 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 germ factories in the best of times but the thing about that though too is that they're saying oh but you could we have the most like permissive and, and in support of homeschooling you know uh, uh legislation or regulatory environment in canada kind of thing you could just homeschool your kids it's like yes we know that you really like homeschooling that's why you made adrian lagrange now the head of all approvals for if people want to open a private school or homeschool because you want them to be brought into their like extreme like you know extreme right-wing households and brainwashed for lack of a better word and i know that there are cases of homeschooling that are like they can go very well but we also know that it is used by, you know, religious right wing cranks and lunatics so that their kids don't find out that, you know, like evolution's a thing. <laughs> so, and even then the educate, uh, the uh, evolution portion of our curriculum is, is, is a joke. Like it's really bad. So with all that in mind, um, there was one more other sports related announcement before we jump into the meat of the episode, which is that the Edmonton Canadian or sorry, yeah, or the Edmonton Canadian football team discontinues using the name Eskimos due to severe public backlash. And this also came with uh, threats from corporate sponsors who threatened to withdraw sponsorship. This came from calls uh, from uh, leaders of in- Indigenous Inuit communities up north who said like yes this is offensive no you did not consult us just because you went and talked to a few people with a bullshit survey that just that said things like does the name eskimos offend you are you a fan of the eskimos football it was a joke the questionnaire was an absolute joke um and eventually the pressure got so high that they eventually backed down and i personally took a lot of joy in this because back in the day um when I when I actively use Twitter, the the hell site, I remember calling them out once, saying like they like obviously you hire. I basically called them out and said you obviously hired a firm to give you the answer that you wanted. It's all been predetermined. This isn't actual consultation. You're just saying that you did it. I got retweeted by their official account, getting dragged. Uh, getting all of these hogs jump on me saying like, oh, look at this. Oh, he's a student. What does he know? Oh, you're just virtue signaling, blah, blah. Like, oh, just not, just trash and nonsense and just horrific bullshit. But it turns out I was right. I was right that they had a predetermined consultation, that it wasn't accurate. And yes, Eskimos was, okay, you want to know actually some, some real tea? Lay, lay it on me. Pour, pour it out. Pour, pour that tea out. People may not know, but I was um, I was actually on the stunt team, the cheerleading stunt team for the Eskimos. Oh, hey, I knew that. What I, was I, once I knew that. Yeah, what was once the Eskimos, and of course, you get a little bit inside baseball and learn how it was. And now it's starting to come out. People have actually found old uh, Calgary Herald articles 
All right, I don't know if it was Calgary Herald, but it was a newspaper from Calgary that was outlining the reason why the Eskimos took out the moniker. You know why, Sean? Because it was originally a pejorative that the Calgary Canadian football team called the Edmonton football team because they were the savages from up north. Ooh, that that that's some yeah. uh, that's some context that makes it a bit ugly, doesn't it? It was a name that deliberately came from a racial epithet and a racist understanding of it. <laughs> so when I heard this, I was like, "Good, good." And honestly, like the, the like Eskimos, what got to the Grey Cup once in the last like ten years? They fucking suck. Canadian football fucking sucks. It's only really watched by 40-year-old men and drunk uh, uh, university students who have nothing else to do. Um, It's very low caliber relative to other sports, um, especially like collegiate football in the United States, which is literally like mechanistically sound. And I think I'm going to cut all this out because that's really controversial. (laughs) I have no love for Canadian football, especially after um, seeing how it works from the inside. It's quite, it's, it's a, it's a racket. Yeah. I think kind of a funny aspect of this whole Eskimos rebrand is they decided to do this before settling on a name. And I guess with the pressure of like the Redskins retiring their name and stuff in the States. And I believe there's another team that retired the name as well recently and all the, the race protests and stuff. Um, they just had to do it right away, but they don't have a replacement name. So they're doing this without any other name in mind, and they're just kind of like uh, undefined for, for, for the meantime. And you've got just no replacement branding, no other name. It's just the Edmonton football team now, I guess. I'm personally going for Edmonton Elks. Go Elks. They get to keep the double E. I saw one on social media that was uh, the Edmittens, and they had... Like gloves, like mittens in the logo instead of the E's. It's like, <laughs> I, I kind of like that. Find that for me. That's going to be the uh, the episode art. Yeah. Yeah, the two gloves <laughs> in the logo. That just might work. So anyways, anyways, moving on to the real meat of the episode. Yeah, let's, let's get past K-12. Let's get past sports and get into some of the... The, the good stuff that we're known for at this point, the stuff that basically the podcast has become about because he's such a fascinating figure, is Tyler Shandro and his wife. Shandro's wild. He's going to show up on your front property and he's going to threaten your kids. He's going to stalk you in the middle of the night and call you at 10 p.m. to ask why you were at a protest. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so our, our intrepid minister of health, Tyler Shandro, is at it again. Um, so we got to we gotta do a really quick recap. Let me give, give me like two minutes starting now to go over what he did. So uh, Minister Tyler Shandro, the dishonorable, terminated the master agreement between the government of Alberta and the Alberta Medical Association earlier this year. I believe it was like uh, February, February to March when that whole thing occurred. Um, and this has universally been regarded as a pretty bad move by pretty much everybody, including the government, which uh, internal sources indicate this has now been referred to as the doctor debacle uh, in circles close to the premier. I I like that. That's a good nickname. Yeah. So then after terminating the master agreement, Minister Shandro, the dishonorable, implements sweeping changes to the physician's pay schedule, removes some cost recovery grants, and moves to defund medical practitioners generally. 
it's around this time that we discover that his wife, his wife's private medical benefits company termed Vital Partners Incorporated, it, this all begins to erupt. And you will recall the climax to that incident when Minister Shandro and his wife, his wife, appeared on the driveway of one Mukaram Zaidi, a former UCP member and Calgary-based epidemiologist. Which is kind of an interesting fold because we're in the middle of a pandemic, epidemiologists study the spread of infectious diseases, it's kind of a funny, funny fold. Um, And the minister and his wife threatened Dr. Zaidi to remove a Facebook meme calling out what we view as a pretty blatant conflict of interest. Like you're the health minister, your wife owns a, you know, basically a a private insurance broker company for medical benefits. Was it not also under his name? Like his name was part of the company? Chandra Holdings Incorporated, which he divested himself from, but his wife is still holds a commanding share in and has his name. It's, It's a, it's a mess. So never mind all that. Um, but yeah, they, they showed up on this guy's driveway, threatened him, seemingly oblivious to the Streisand effect, look it up. Um, and then he also started answering emails from his official, uh, official minister correspondence. His wife would forward them to him, he would answer them, and it just kept, it got fucking crazy. And he was threatening to sick, uh, the legislature protective services on critics citing harassment. And we went over there, there was no harassment. No charges were ever filed. No indictments or anything was ever put forward. It was a total joke. But he was threatening to send police services after people who sent an email to his wife's company who then forwarded it to him. And we remember the very funny uh, email that got leaked from one of his staffers who said, like, I'll do it. I'll do it. It's easier for me to fall on the sword than you. Which, God bless that man. He is the most underpaid staffer. Like, if your staffer is willing to go to bat for you like that, like, you want to keep that guy around. Like, he's, that's how you earn a promotion in the bureaucracy. Holy shit. <laughs> I think that's how they found out, though, because that staffer ended up leaking it to a reporter. Or, no, he ended up replying all to one of the people yes, that who was, was being threatened by the minister. Yeah, which is so good. So fucking good. Um, for, then we move on from this. Nothing happened, by the way, after all this. Like, the minister wasn't removed. There wasn't a cabinet shovel. There wasn't, like, an investigation. That just went on. Well, actually, Jason Kenney got up at some kind of press conference type thing and was like, well, I think what uh, Tyler Shandra did was perfectly normal and suitable. And you know what? Defending a person's wife is totally fine by me. And, you know, any Albertan would have done what he did in this situation. Any Albertan would have defended his wife and used an official email account in order to answer private dealings as a public servant, which is kind of disturbing that he thinks that way. But then again, then following this, this is then when the Alberta Medical Association sues the government. I think it's gone up to $250 million now, if I recall the latest numbers. Here I have $225 million for alleged bath, bad faith in negotiations and violating the membership's charter rights of association since they would not allow the negotiations to go into bar- binding arbitration. And I think we know why, because if they did, the arbitrator would go, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you should probably, like, negotiate. With, like, the, their requests are reasonable. They, they offered to cap physician spending at $4.5 billion. So that that's handled. Like, you don't have to worry about that growing. They'll figure it out kind of thing. So that was a whole, that was a whole mess. And then following this... Not content with simply harassing a single doctor, Shandro collects the private unlisted numbers of physicians he saw at protest events through AHS. So he, he, he basically like told somebody at AHS to give him a number and started calling them after hours. 
That was in our last episode we talked about Hello, that. Tyler Shandro here. I need to talk to you about your political opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Which could only be viewed, yeah, that's very, um, that's very suspect. Uh, and this is actually uh, the subject of an ongoing privacy investigation, I believe. I don't know if I saw if that ever got... Uh, close, but knowing how Alberta uh, accountability mechanisms work, they're going to say, oh, oh, nothing wrong here. You didn't violate their privacy because of some weird, arcane interpretation of the law, like we saw with Marguerite Trussler, who's the ethics commissioner. So, moving on, we I have an update on her later on. And now, this is where we okay, so that's 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 the recap, that's what's happened so far. That's fucking insane. He should not be in this position. He's a madman. Tyler Shandro is a crazy person. Uh, a madman. He's, he's emotionally un- and an angry man. Yeah, true. He's um he's he's clearly emotionally unstable. He's clearly stressed out. He's clear like clearly a bad person. Uh, and now allegedly, according to a bad person, don't want to besmirch his character or anything. Um, and now, according to a survey that was conducted by the Alberta Medical Association, approximately 42% of provincial physicians are considering leaving the province, and 87% will be altering their medical practices in response to Chandra's handling of the fee schedules. And, and 42%, like when I saw this number, I wouldn't have imagined it would be this high. Right. Because we started getting inklings like in our last episode when we talked about which practices were closing and like, you know, how much of an effect it started to have and people making statements about, you know, I have to leave because of so and so, mostly in obstetrics, mostly in rural areas. But 42 percent considering leaving the province like that needs to be underscored here. Forty two percent. That is pretty insane. And 87% will be altering their medical practices, which we already knew. Like, there was a story of the moose and, and squirrel medical clinic out of Sundry, which was the, like, like sort of lightning rod when it's all kicked off because they had to forego their obstetrics practice and rescind their emergency clinic hours. Because a lot of times in rural areas, doctors will work both in a hospital and in their clinic. And they still have overhead in their clinic, even if they're not making money from from billing at the clinic, right? Because that that payment schedule works differently. Um, and now they had they're like, well, we can't. The only way we can afford to do this is reducing our, you know, our specialized treatment. Because of course, there's like, you know, power for specialized equipment, the equipment itself, insurance, staff, et cetera, et cetera. So that you have to put that off to the back burner. So I'm not surprised about that at all. And there's actually lots of quotes in the articles you see about people who just graduated who are like. Well, I wanted to go back to my hometown and start up a, a medical practice, but how could I? It's actually not feasible. And we'll get into that in a moment as to how the government is, or how Chandra specifically is spinning this. So yeah, Kenny came out and said, oh, this isn't true. They're, 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 these doctors aren't leaving the, the province, right? Um, they're, they're, they're sticking around. It, it's, just, it's just a game. They're just playing chicken with patients. And they always talk about this a lot, how they say like, oh, like, how, how dare they play politics with patients? How, how dare they put patients' lives at risk or health at risk? Um, for this political game because they just want to, you know, they want to keep keep driving their big vehicles and blah, 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 and all this kind of, kind of nonsense. They, right? they just want a Beamer and a Quad and a Sled and a, and a Sea-Doo. You know, they, they don't care about, <laughs> about doing their job. But this is a trend that really interests me, though, because I don't actually think it's just doctors that are considering it. Because I'm, like, you know... I've been speaking with some of my colleagues and friends and, and acquaintances and whatnot. And yeah, it's true. They, they tend to sort of, uh, you know, lean towards like better educated, be- better educated, 
um, higher sort of like financial ceiling kind of people um, about their plans after graduation, after a current contract, after their work, what's next kind of thing. And pretty much unanimous consent is I'm leaving the province. Like, like ba basically it's a resounding fuck this. Why should we put up with this? This is not, this is not acceptable. We can go do other things elsewhere. Like the economy is going to shit. Why would we stick around? You know, they are, they, they ought to harden up the borders. Like if they, if they really want to be serious about stopping, <laughs> stopping this. That's why, that's why they want an Alberta police service so they can keep us in. They want to do what they're doing in Portland, but here. <laughs> I don't think they're actually going to do that, but that would be pretty, pretty bad. You know, just another constitutional violation to add to the list. Yeah, just why not? We, we're, we've already had so many. We have so many more to go and we're not even, you know, halfway through. Um, so upon hearing that he has a full-on medical revolt on his hand, Chandra took out the big guns, the double barrel of threats. Uh, so he threatened to, one, disclose physicians' billings to basically make them look bad. And the quote here is that since Albertans... Sh oh, wait, sorry, this is Chandra. Hang on. Angry Chandro in three, two, one. <laughs> Since Albertans should know the facts, the government is also exploring introducing physician compensation transparency as exists for public servants in Alberta and physicians in a number of other <laughs> He said in a news release. Um, physicians, particularly <laughs> specialists like radiologists and ophthalmologists, have opposed public disclosure of their billings because they pay the fig. They say the figures don't present their true number of their take-home pay. So we alluded to this earlier in the episode, and actually we talked about this last episode too with the overheads. Um, and so, like, because maybe angry Tyler's voice may be a bit obscured by like the rage spit bubbling at the corners of his mouth. I think you know the sum it up. He wants to dis disclose their billings and they're like, well, maybe don't disclose the billings because you have in that their pay and their overhead, right? Because it's the total billing before the overhead is subtracted. And like, this is what a big part of like what they're able to obscure and lie to the public about is, is that, you know, the, the UCP tends to pretend that the total billings are what they're taking home. And so as soon as you start looking at the overhead and like how much is actually deducted from the doctor's pay, it, it becomes a lot more uh, reasonable and equitable to other provinces. But uh, this is something they could use as a clever strategy to misrepresent how much they're being paid, just like they always do. And, you know, disclose these billings straight out with no kind of disclaimer as to as to how much of these billings actually make up the doctor's salary. Yeah, and I'm sorry if that if that wasn't clear about what I said. But <laughs> if Chandra wasn't clear, and I'm sorry, as we go on through time, his his bubbling rage and just like frothing lunacy increases until eventually he's just going to be like a shuddering, gibbering husk in a in a suit, and that's going to be really funny. Um, so yeah, as Sean just uh, just laid out. The way that doctors are paid in other provinces are different. The way that grants are awarded to help cover overhead costs, that changes. Alberta is actually one of the only provinces that has the type of fee pay schedule that we have. And yeah, it is functionally broken because, yes, it does incentivize, you know, turning over patients over and over, which is why they had to include other fee pay or pay for fee, fee for fee for service um, mechanisms like that. Um, 
that complicated modifier time that they added and then removed, the UCP removed it, right? And that was a big thing. So there's a lot of things to this that need to be considered. And what's funny, though, is that the public doesn't seem to be buying it. The AMA is not backing down. I certainly don't buy it, um, which, like I said, like frothing lunacy really describes it. And, and it gets it gets worse. It gets worse, ladies and gentlemen. Sean, it's kind of funny that you talked about, are we going to have to set up a hard border to provide prevent people from fleeing the province? And so the second threat, so that was the first one, which is disclosing physicians' pays. The second threat is to force the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta to remedy their standards of practice to force doctors to remain in Alberta in the interim. So basically there is a letter that Chandra wrote to the uh, CPSA, and he said that they want, he wanted them to change the standards of practice to, okay, less frothing rage, Prohibit an entire group of physicians from withdrawing at the same time. This could be identified as a job action rather than a closure of medical practice. Doctors should be required to give three months notice before leaving our practice. The letter states... So this is interesting, though, because if, if doctors weren't leaving en masse, like Kenny says, why would they need to tell the College of Physicians and Surgeons to change their standards of practice? And if this was just playing chicken or if, for, for, if it was just about the money, why would the doctors then go to places where functionally, yeah, their take home income actually might be slightly less than what they're doing now, although the numbers are pretty comparable from my understanding relative to other provinces. And you hear a lot of people talking about, well, it's about respect, it's about decency, it's about the right environment, so on and so forth. And that's, I think that kind of ties into just the lie from the, the premier that, oh, doctors aren't leaving, but, you know, we're going to ask their uh, like regulatory um, board or their, their college, I suppose, to, um, you know, force them to stay. Uh, there's the first contradiction, but then the second contradiction, even a, a, a further nail in the coffin, even a more definitive nail in the coffin of this argument is that they're posting these jobs now on global job posting websites to try to fill in the doctor's positions of the people that are leaving. And this is where we cue the yakety sax music as we go over a brief sampling of the just for the uh, Sunday 26th of July postings. And maybe we'll do a little bit more than that. So we have a, so these are all job postings. Family medicine physician, general practitioner for Wabasca, Canada, Alberta. Anesthesiologist from Red Deer, Canada, Alberta. General practitioner, Two Hills, Family Canada, medicine physician, Alberta. general practitioner, enhanced surgical skills, C-section, Westlock, Canada, Alberta. That's your obstetric. Family right medicine there. physician, general practitioner, enhanced surgical skills, C-section, Whitecourt, Canada, Alberta. Anatomic pathologist, Ca- Calgary, uh, Canada, Alberta. Family medicine physician, general practitioner, Barhead. Family medicine physician, general practitioner with anesthesia, Whitecourt. Palli- palliative care, Summer Locum, Lethbridge, Canada, Alberta. Family Alberta. medicine physician, general practitioner. Practitioner Wabasca, family medicine physician, general practitioner Wabasca, um, pediatrician, Red Deer, general practitioner with enhanced surgical skills, Rocky Mountain House, Canada, family medicine physician, general practitioner with anesthesia, Cold Lake, general practitioner, consort from Coronation, family medicine physician, general practitioner, Lecrae, general practitioner, Red Deer, cardiac surgical assistant, Calgary, internal medicine, Red Deer, let's see if we can find, oh, oh, we got one from Vegarbill for a, a general practitioner, Cameras. general practitioner, extended OBS, obstetrician gynecologist, Lethbridge, oh, that's very, 
very surprising and coincidental. General practitioner with basic obstetrics, Monty Rocky Mountain. Critical Mount. Respirologist, Calgary. Urgent care physician at East Edmonton Health Center, Edmonton. Surgical assistant, Vermilion. Ophthalmologist, Edmonton. Anesthesiologist, Fort McMurray. Family medicine physician, general practitioner, Fairview. Oh, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. It looks like they're posting, they posted uh, new positions every single day on this website going back to the beginning of June. And let's, just to, um, sorry to, to kind of like violate the tone for a moment, but like we're, we're, we're laughing about this because it's so blatant how much horseshit Shandro is shoveling into our upward facing open mouth and eyes. But this is really serious. This is insane. This is an insanely serious incident that's taking place. Well, and, and I've said, and I mean, I hope I don't just say this to defend myself for laughing at terrible things, but sometimes, and I say this often, all you can do is laugh or cry. And like in a situation like this, it's the kind of absurdity and, and the just unmitigated insanity and bungling and yes, bungling is the right word. Bungle-tastic right here is what this is. I mean, this is the kind of bungling that just makes you just like completely appalled. And it's the kind of thing that like when you see this in a news article, you, you almost don't believe that it's real. And like then you have to go to like the primary source. You have to read these listings. You have to see the poll from AMA in its primary source version to really, really have it sink in. Because you read the news article and you're like, well, journalists are like, you know, they don't cite anything. Like maybe it's not like real. Maybe this journalist just had like has an ideological perspective. But then you go look at it and it's it's some pretty scary stuff, right? Serious shit. And now, but however, it's like... As dire as that situation is, and Sean's right, you can either laugh or you can cry. And we're just lucky to have someone in the form of Tyler Chandra, who is just so intrinsically funny that we we can laugh at him because he is a he's a he's a ridiculous, red faced, frothing lunatic. Like he is in he's a he's a insane person, allegedly, hard alleged there. <laughs> And so now the the Alberta Medical Association is actually planning to hold a vote of non-confidence. Uh, that goes on until July 18th online, after which they will release the uh, the results. And basically it's, do you have confidence in the stewardship of the public health care system under Minister of Health Tyler Shandro? What do you think the answer to that is going to be? It's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. <laughs> Yeah, I think if everything else we've heard from the doctors in this province is any indication, this uh, this confidence vote is not going to uh, <laughs> not going to be finding a majority of doctors confident in this minister. Guess who, everybody? It's your boy Mark here in post production. Since you know it takes an awful long time to get these episodes out between vacations and just finding the time. There was actually a resolution to the situation about that confidence vote for our good old boy, uh, Mr. Tyler Shandro, Minister of Health. So this is uh, coming from a CTV News article dated for July 29th, 2020, where they described that about two-thirds of the Alberta Medical Association's members cast a vote. This is for that confidence vote over the, the, the week that this is referencing, about 8,900 people. Of those votes, just 1.5% reported confidence in the minister, while 
58% voted no confidence. 57 abstain votes were also cast. So this is one of those benefits of uh, leaving it on a slow boil where we get to see everything turn out. And as we kind of expected it would turn out, here we are. Interesting that, isn't it? Yeah, and what's funny is that even in in like a, some like straw like favorability polls, almost every other province in the in the country of Canada has seen a bump due to their COVID response. Even the Ford government in Ontario, which is quite 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 absurd to me. The the Ford government had a huge bump, uh, which is um, I guess to be expected because they're treating like this with a pragmatic and like. It kind of fits into the brand, but it also appeals to the left where it's like hyper pragmatic. Like, okay, we're just going to make this work and like ride it out. Um, But yeah, they got a huge bump. Ford did really well uh, in COVID. Actually, COVID's like one of the best things that happened to Ford in a way. Yeah, in a weird way. Um, And however, that bump hasn't happened here. Like Kennedy, Kenny, depending on the poll that you, I keep calling him Kennedy for some reason. Um, But no, not (laughs) Kenny. He like some polls still have him underwater. Like it's true. If they called the election today, they would win. But that has more to do with the general. I would argue the general unpopularity of the central NDP caucus than it would with you know uh, Kenny losing support. Although it's probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. But we look at Chandro. His approval rating for the average Albertan is hovering around. It's below forty percent. It's hovering around like thirty three, thirty five. When you look at uh, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, uh, U Alberta alumnus, woo, alumna, woo, alumni, woo, alumnix, eh, it works. She Gen- gender neutral alumni is alumnix. Oh, I like it. I, I, it I'm just it making works. that up, but it, it works actually. Um, but she has a favorability rating of like 86 percent. So clearly, people are recognizing what's happening, and this is why it's so. Shocking that Jason Kenney, the premier, refuses to remove or replace Chandro or condemn his actions. And I was thinking about this a lot recently. And I say that it's shocking and not surprising because it's not surprising that Kenny refuses to come out and condemn Chandro. Because if he did, it's sort of similar to Trump, right? We select the best people. We have the best people working on the jobs. For so- I sound like Bernie Sanders more than... Um, Donald Trump when I do that. Well, they're they're both from like the northeast kind of yeah. New England region. So anyways, I mean, it, it works. Never mind. Anyways, but it's the same thing, right? Like we hire the best people. We have the most comment. We have this veneer of respectability. We wear suits. We wear nice shoes. We were lawyers, or we are lawyers. Blah 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 blah. Although I've I don't I think I've only met a couple of lawyers that I've ever trusted. I don't tend to, I don't trust them as a general rule. Uh, and I think the, the lawyer defense works for a lot of their MLAs, but in Chandro's case, it almost like proves beyond any doubt that lawyers can be very stupid and can be yeah. very non-strategic and yeah. can be very emotional and not analytic or logical. And corrupt, so, I mean, like and and not impartial at all, completely partial. But yeah, I, I did say that it's shocking and not surprising for a reason, and that's because if Kenny were to come out and condemn Tyler Chandro, the myth of him as a competent administrator and meritorious leader would be damaged it it could almost be destroyed 
And I have other thoughts that we'll touch on at the end of the episode, but also see that whole thing that happened with his new speechwriter, which is Paul Bunner, who's now infamous speechwriter for the premier, notable for his bigot, like bigoted screeds against indigenous people, like the residential school uh, genocide ne- was not a genocide, it never happened kind of thing. Uh, he has also taken aim at the LGBTQS plus community and women. And if I may, just because it's so relevant right now, um, the Dr. Zaidi, who you mentioned earlier, the, the man that Tylo, sorry, Tyler Shandro, Tylo, hmm, that could work. Tylo. <laughs> the man, <laughs> that's like his uh, DJ name, Tylo. <laughs> but the man who Tylo Shandro Spin, screamed, spinning, spinning his sick beats like the destruction of the Alberta, well, that's not cool at all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, the, the man who uh, Tylo Tyler Shandro screamed at and cried at and like told his kids to go inside because you don't want to see this. Uh, Dr. Zaidi left uh, the United Conservative Party, uh, you know, gave up his membership recently, and he cited uh, Paul Bunner as a reason. So he cited the racism and like the, you know, the unwillingness to address the racism in the party as a reason. And I think it's kind of like a final straw, straw that broke the camel's back kind of situation where Shandro did kind of help him make this decision, if you know what I mean. But, um, yeah, he, he left the party after this surfaced and they wouldn't do anything about it. Right. And it is a myth that Kenny is a meritorious leader or has some kind of like charisma that allowed him to climb to the top. Because we all know what he did to Brian Jean. He ran a dark horse candidate that he directed money to, to constantly attack Jean and, 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 and hammer him from his, probably from his like right flank, which is like, you have to understand how extreme that is. And also probably, possibly, allegedly rigged the election. Uh, well, for with, with Jeff campaign. Calloway, right? So you yeah. had Jeff Calloway coming well, in as this. There's two, there's two pieces because there was the Jeff Calloway campaign, which was a dark horse candidate to basically split votes with Gene, took all of his, took all of Gene's platform and simultaneously kept attacking Gene and not Kenny. So there was that part. But then there was also the uh, improper voting where memberships for the UCP were tied to fake email addresses routed through a VPN to vote for Kenny over and over and over again, and that's still being investigated. There was also the interaction with Harper and Associates, who actually may have been involved in directing money to the Jeff Calloway campaign, because we know Jeff Calloway had direct contact. I believe it was Jeff Calloway campaign, happy man from Harper and Associates, obviously Harper and Jason Kenny going way back, right? And all of that mess, too. So that also needs to be pointed out. So this idea that Kenny is a meritorious leader, it's it's total, it's astroturf. It's total verisimilitude. He appears it because he, he wears a suit and he speaks clearly. But he's a liar. He's a rather weak and ineffectual leader, I would argue. He do, I don't believe he actually commands that much respect from the sort of outer reaches of his party. That's why there's such this concentrated core. And he wouldn't have beaten Brian Jean if he didn't engage in all those tactics. Actually, a friend of mine told me this story once um, regarding what happened at the UCP Youth Caucus elections. And what happened was, is that because the Youth Caucus elections are, they're important because that's their feeder groups that like, you know, come up to fill up a a, a constituency associations. And what he said was, is that um, they were doing campaigning and this, that, and the other thing. And what happened was, is that a bunch of kids from Bible schools in southern Alberta got bussed in to all vote for the one fellow who was running for the chair of the youth caucus. 
that's what they did. And that's that's kind of a, a people who weren't really involved in the party. They just because if you show up and you're a membership member, you get to vote in that case. Right. right. It's similar to a constituency association meeting. <laughs> The rigging runs deep when it comes to this party and the people who are running it right now. Which is the same thing that the anti-abortion misogyny movement uses to get people to win their constituency elections for the parliament. Did you know that? I did not. Do you know that 30% of the Conservative caucus in in the uh, Canadian parliament is there because of that process? And actually, I think if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, I believe your MP is actually one of those people. I wouldn't be surprised, actually, knowing what what I know about him. That 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 kind of adds up to me. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I and I think kind of what you're talking about with his like reputation of being a a charismatic manager and like it's mostly a construction. It's mostly not found in reality, and how he tries to maintain this maybe in part by not. Um, disciplining his ministers or not doing a cabinet shuffle. It's kind of interesting how that might also be motivated by him not wanting to break up this artificial party that they have, because in a sense, he needs a lot of coalescence behind him to lead a party. That's really just the wild rose and the PCs anyway. And, and judging by how much they, they didn't like each other before. And like, you know, people who are formerly members of, of either party still are not, uh, fully in line or in tune with the other half of the party. I think, and in me and you were talking about this before, I think there's a real potential that they are, you know, held together by this kind of fake unity and him not disciplining his ministers helps the fake unity. You spilled my secret sauce because that was my take that I just shared with you, which is, yeah, exactly right. The The, the thing is, is that we don't really know we can we can guess with some certainty where people in the UCP fall on the PC to the Wild Rose side, right? It's either whether you're more fiscally oriented or socially oriented, as the case tends to be, because the PCs don't really give a shit about the social end of things. They rather leave it alone. The Wild Rose care a lot, whereas the Wild Rose, and actually it's funny, another friend of mine who is actually um, involved in the uh, uh, Calgary Wild Rose uh, group for a while, they commented that, you know what, the funny thing about these Wild Rose people is they have a lot of energy, but they're very bad at running organizations, which is interesting to me, which is basically just a very snide way of saying, like, they don't really have it all together. Um, Much much like Tyler Shandro himself, who, you know, there's a lot of, like, emotional aggression and energy there, but there's not a lot of, like, press secretaries. Or their press secretaries on on Twitter and stuff, where they're, like, shouting people down and just being, like, these petulant children they, they are definitely coming from that end of the tracks but you're right if they do a cabinet shuffle if they move the wrong person at the wrong time like i don't know how travis Tate still has his job how did you write a budget with 58 dollars uh per barrel of oil right like that should be uh immediately disqualifying but the fact of the matter is is that if Taze has moved out i believe that Taze is probably because just based on how power works in the legislature Treasury board, huge amount of power, sets the budget for all the other ministries, right? My guess is that he's actually the head of the Wild Rose contingent. Kenny is the quote-unquote de facto like head of the the unified party, but probably leans more PC, I would guess, progressive conservative. Um, And then everybody else is kind of like, it's like hit and miss. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think like there's an element of the party. 
Oh, I was just going to say, the party would disintegrate if they move the wrong person at the wrong time, because it would completely, like, we don't know what kind of games are being played in the background, but we do know that the party may fall apart if the wrong person gets moved, which is probably yeah. why they've resisted a, a cabinet shuffle up to this thing, because people seem to forget the Wild Rose and the Progressive Conservatives hated each other. They, like, the things that they would say when people crossed the floor from the Wild Rose to join the PCs, I believe that was Daniel Smith, the things that were said about her, it was, I don't like Daniel Smith, I quite frankly think she's a, um, a lukewarm, lukewarm uh, thinker at best, um, right-wing reactionary type with a really freakish subservience to oil and gas industries. Um, and also she was peddling the hydrochloroquine line for a little bit too. So just really not, not the kind of person who should be really given the platform that she's given when she crossed the floor, like the things that were said about her was horrific. The infighting was fierce, fierce, I say. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think one thing that's kind of interesting when it comes to a cabinet shuffle or like a, a, a any kind of. One thing that I find interesting when it comes to a cabinet shuffle is that they could very well shuffle the cabinet for um, optics reasons or for disciplinary reasons or to rearrange kind of the power dynamic between ministers. And it wouldn't actually impact the way the ministries are ran because there's this rumor that seems to be quite well founded going around that a lot of these ministries are, are being ordered around by the premier's office. And so what else is it then that's stopping them from rearranging this? I think part of it is the party unity. And another big part of it is kind of the public perception in terms of like, it's probably better because of just the way that um, when they're not paid attention to is when they tend to do the best in, in the media. And as soon as people pay attention to them, they dig up a bunch of nasty, horrible dirt. I think that they're doing this to, to, to lay low. Why else would Kenny say things like, oh, what Tyler Shandra did was totally normal, thereby basically outing himself as an idiot who can't tell what's normal and what's not. And so, yeah, I think, you know, if it's being ran out of the premier's office, the entire government, if the ministers don't actually have much control over it, um, then then what what could be the motivation to not do a cabinet shuffle? And I think, you know, the, the, the biggest thing is, you know, keeping the unity and keeping things quiet because that's that's where they really <laughs> they really excel when they're in darkness in a sense when they're in shadow and I, that point really needs to be underscored and I, I'm, I'm actually glad that we went on this tangent because it's airing out a lot of things um, that i've been thinking about recently but it's true we we know for a fact that the the premier runs a very tight ship that he uses staff in the ministry offices in order to control and direct and backfeed information because the ministers aren't actually in charge it's like a chief of staff it's like a deputy minister it's something like this right they're actually the ones in charge because they're the ones going back and kind of doing like progress reports etc so it's it's pretty well known at this stage but well, i think it's also clear by like the things they say and then what they do so some ministers yeah. will say things but, and then but they won't follow through on them but ju just to hit on it but that's the important thing is that one man cannot run a government and kenny is a megalomaniac it's well it's well established he he values loyalty beyond anything that he's he works incredibly hard like 12 hour days kinds of things like this is his life and that's sad and kind of and kind of gross but it is what it is um but he as as hard as he works and as highly as he thinks of himself which like pumper breaks but like oh my god he cannot run a government 
no one person can run a government. And that's the mistake that he's making. That's why we're seeing all these all of these mistakes, I would argue, because it's coming from his office. So this idea of him being this meritorious leader, I don't see where it comes from. I think it's I think I think it's a myth. Yeah, and I think kind of an interesting take to end out on is something that and 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 I, I agreed with you on your take earlier, so I kind of claimed it because I totally agreed with what you were saying. But this time I'll give credit. My friend was telling me about this. And I think I think he made a really good point when it came to the minister's frustration. And especially, you've seen it with Tyler Shandra, but I'm sure a lot of them are feeling it and not showing it as much. But my friend was talking to me about the whole situation. We, Of course, it's funny to talk about the Dr. Zaidi explosion on his driveway, this whole rant and tirade that Chandra went on. And he's like, you know, at some level you kind of got to empathize and feel bad for the guy and, and understand why he's so frustrated because he doesn't have control of his own ministry. And maybe Shandro, like he's higher up on the pecking order. I think um, health is considered more important than some other ministries, you know, maybe at the top being uh, the treasury, uh, being the minister of finance. Probably goes but, treasury, energy, health. That's right, kind of my, yeah. that's my, my take. And so health is important. So maybe he has some level of control, but to not have full control over the thing that's making you look like an idiot in public, the thing that's making you look incompetent, the, the operations of this ministry that, that that's really being conducted by the premier who gets to, you know, uh, kind of hide behind you as his minister. It explains Tyler Shandra's frustration, first of all, how angry he is as a, as a minister of, of, a, of a ministry that he doesn't fully control. And it also explains, it goes into why Kenny won't replace some of these ministers. Because he knows that, that they're falling they're falling on the sword for him. They're taking the fall for decisions that he's making. And so he doesn't blame them. He doesn't blame the health ministry for, for, for operating completely incorrectly. He doesn't blame them and chastise them behind the scenes for the kinds of things that are happening. Although maybe he chastised them for yelling at the doctor. But not for the actual operations of the ministry, right? And so you've got the situation where the minister, the, the premier's control means that the... That the um, the ministers are in a really tough spot, which kind of makes me empathize a little bit, that they have no control over over the thing that's supposed to be their job. And then in a public facing way, they take all the, you know, kind of slings and arrows for it. And uh, it ends up being really unsavory for them. So, yeah, I think the fact that he's not replacing them really goes to show this phenomenon. And then when you consider this phenomenon, it explains why someone like Chandra is so angry they they take all of the heat and get none of the credit, and I yeah. I think I think that that uh, compassionate reasoning to try and distill what it is that is is driving these types of behaviors is so important, because like we're not saying we're we're obviously not like being sympathetic for for Chandra. I think compassion is very different than that. Compassion is we we you would describe it as putting yourself in somebody else's shoes understanding what their motivations are that have brought them to this place and really understanding from their view what is occurring and it doesn't mean that you're being permissive of it it does not mean that you are accepting of what it is they're doing but that you understand and that's what we're trying to i think really get at with 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 this with this podcast and with the work that we're doing these people are so alien to me the way that they behave the way that they talk the way that they operate the way that they run things 
their ideological commitments, their professional backgrounds. Everything about them is as, as far as far away from me as, you know, titanium is to straw. I'm the titanium, they're the straw, to be clear. Um, and the thing is, the thing is, <laughs> <Nice>. is that, <laughs> the thing is, is that without really understanding not only them and what it is that their government does and who they're trying to serve and why they're trying to do it, not only can you not deconstruct it and separate it, like with the doctors leaving thing, right? Like if you can't do that, you can't really see what the path forward is. But not only that, not only understanding them, but understanding the people who voted for them and for the people who would vote for them again. Because while it's true, like the turnout was like 64%, and um, yes, they did win a commanding uh, uh, lead of it was it was in, it was close to like 56 percent of the vote or something like this. So not bad, not bad at all. But they only represent realistically thirty five percent of the province that voted for them. And those people interest me because what what were they thinking? And I think that we can draw a pretty straight line: economic desperation, uncertainty, bankruptcy. Healthcare concerns that like Kenny signed a healthcare guarantee, a public health guarantee. Everyone put the great big cards, right? Oh, we're going to guarantee your public healthcare bullshit. So it's not like the UCP won for nothing. But if we don't understand why and how and how to circumvent that and realistically how to put forward a positive vision for the future. And I'm mostly speaking on behalf of the NDP in this case, who is obviously um, I have I have a lot of frustration with with the way that their party operates and runs, um, especially their comms. If you don't do that, then this is what we're stuck with. And then these these, you know, like I said, these these hooting gibbons, these absolute frothing lunatics, they'll just drive the entire province into the ground to which maybe the Wexit people have a point and maybe the best thing to do to Alberta or the best thing for Alberta would be to destroy it. A sobering thought. And I'll just take the pressure cooker off. I don't think we actually need to destroy Alberta, but I do think that um, things got to change. Things got to change in an awful hurry. And if you don't understand these people, then what are you going to do? At the end here, let me just pick out something that you said that I think is really important that like, you know, understanding the motivations of these people and then you say extrapolating that onto the motivations of their supporters I, I always say that i think i know while i don't agree with you know many of the principles that they espouse i think i know where these people are coming from their electorate their ministers their mlas i think i have a pretty good idea of why they do the things that they do and while i don't agree with it um i can empathize with it and i can i can understand you know how they're feeling and why they're feeling that way and i think a lot of times you got to you know, get get into their heads to start thinking about how to solve this stuff and how to reach out to them. And then actually reaching out to them and talking to them. I mean, I have tons of friends who, some of which work for, um, you know, MLAs or, or MPs on the parties that I don't vote for. Um, some of which, you know, vote very differently from me, but maybe don't work in politics. Um, some of which are PC supporters who, you know, former PC supporters who now hate the UCP. And uh, it, it's worth, you know, kind of building those those bridges. And so that's, that's why, I mean, maybe we can, you know, agree that Chandra's a goon and he's a bit of a fool and he makes a lot of dumb decisions, but I, I kind of feel bad for him getting all his power taken away by him from the premier 
and then being forced to take the fall every single time something bad happens, right? And you've got that, you've got that kind of um, <laughs> this this very like it it paints a picture of like a very non influential MLA who maybe thought he was getting into something different than he th- than 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 he was. And now we have him in this position where he just has to take the fall all the time and he gets no glory and he gets no recognition in his party. And that's what we'll continue to do. We'll continue to do our deep dives and explore and analyze what it is that makes the UCP tick. Because honestly, like, say what you want about them. It's a it's a damned good show. I am thoroughly entertained. So with all that, um, this has been The Underside with your hosts, Mark and Sean. Been great chatting with you. We'll be back hopefully sooner than than a month, lol, uh, and uh, figure all that out. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm just gonna foreshadow that I think next time we'll talk about some of the new legislation that's coming about. I think there could be a real good episode in there to kind of bring to our viewers not the media's interpretation of the legislation, but actual bits of the legislation that we will then be reading and interpreting ourselves. So you can see, you know, just how bad is this government, and just how you know. Um, malicious is their legislative agenda and uh, I think we'll get to that next time but I really appreciate talking to you about this and uh, and yeah good stuff nice tangents nice uh, 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 I kind of like the path that this went down <laughs>